I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Robbie weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh, oh, Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Only two more sleeps until the Six Nations here again, so we're getting very excited. Murray Kinsa here, sitting into the presenter's seat in the absence of Gavin Casey, but don't fear he'll be back next week. Joining me today, as always, is the one and only Bernard Jackman. How are you, Birch? Yeah, really good, thanks. Equally excited about the Six Nations and looking forward to doing a good preview here. Yeah, all a bit different this year, obviously, but we'll make the best of it. We're also joined by former Munster man Mike Sherry. Great to have you back, Mike. How's all there? Good, good. Hoping I'm coming through loud and clear, having a few technical difficulties as always. But uh, yeah, happy to be here. Looking forward to going through uh, a preview of uh, the Six Nations coming up. Yeah, that's a beautiful connection, I'm pleased to say. Also, delighted to say that for this year's Six Nations, William Hill have come on board to sponsor the podcast, as well as all of the 42's coverage of the tournament. William Hill, it's who you play with. Please gamble responsibly, and for more information, visit dunlouis.net. But Birch, first up, breaking news yesterday evening, a bit of a surprise, I suppose late in the week. Josh Adams, the Wales wing, has been suspended for two games, a breach of the COVID-19 protocols. Basically, Players let out of camp, he had a small gathering with his family, which was very much against the protocols, um, and reportedly for a gender reveal party, which I kind of had to look up to, be honest, I didn't really know what that was. But how, how big a blow is it for them to lose Josh Adams, especially so close to the game? Yeah, it's a, it's a massive blow. Probably uh, it was a key guy for Warren Gatlin in 2019, um, obviously came, came into the Welsh team from Worcester, had been the Scarlets um, in the academy, was let go, and in fairness to him, um, yeah, I actually tried to sign him for the Dragons before he blew up in Worcester, not saying that I, I saw a talent. It was pretty obvious he was pretty good. But what the great thing about Josh Adams is his attitude. And he his agent, Derwin Jones, brought him down to, to Worcester just to meet the, uh, the director of rugby. And um, there was training going on at the time. And he had no kit with him, but he asked me to borrow some kit just to just to get you know involved. And he hadn't even signed a contract yet. He's just one of these guys who super enthusiastic and probably... probably plays like that so he probably punches above his waist um uh, scores tries when he probably shouldn't you know he's not the fastest he's not the most powerful but uh had made a massive impact at, at international level and obviously the blues brought him back this year um probably hasn't you know blues form probably wasn't great and wasn't getting as much ball and wales form wasn't as great in 2020 and wasn't getting as much ball but uh i think he would have started this weekend and it's probably just another headache for for wayne pibak who who can't seem to catch a break, and it's it's definitely an advantage for for Ireland. Um, with Liam Williams being out, um, you know I think Josh Adams would have been a, a key guy for them, uh, and uh, um, in their back three options. So yeah, it's a it's a disaster for him. He's been suspended for two weeks. Um, yeah, and and just just note to everybody: just be careful when you go to a gender reveal party. You know, there'll be repercussions. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely not what Wayne Pivak needed. He's already under a bit of pressure, and this is one of the most frustrating reasons, I guess, a player will have for, for missing a game. Mike, we actually got a question about this on the members' WhatsApp group. Uh, Members.the42.e, if people want to join on there. It's from Eric. He says, what's the most stupid reason you've ever heard for a player missing a game or getting banned? Can you think any there? Um, yeah, one comes to mind. Um Baldwin, the, the Welsh hooker, a uh, bit of a team, Welsh lads. Um, he had his hand bitten by a lion, wasn't it, down in South Africa, <laughs> coming up to a game. Um, wasn't uh, another Welsh lad, uh, Powell, didn't he miss a game for going down the, the motorway on a golf cart or something like that? So, um, yeah. definitely a team there. 
Okay, there's a team. Apologies to our yeah. West listener, li- <laughs> listeners. I don't know. Is there something about these guys, Bernard? No comment. Well, I definitely would have some stories from the Dragons, but because we've already you know gone down the, the Welsh route, I, I don't want to be seen as being anti-Welsh. So probably mine... And look, at uh, my worst one was uh, in, in France, we had a week off um, and we had a second row who basically came to us came to us and said, oh, look, can you go in for a, a procedure? He wanted to get a snip uh, on, a, on a day off on a Wednesday. And uh, that was no problem. He said, the doctor said he'd be fine to train on the, on the Monday and we had a match the following week. And uh, yeah, he came in on Monday, but unfortunately he had an infection and uh, yeah, he basically he could hardly walk. So yeah, he ended up missing about two or three games. So um, that's probably the worst one I've seen in terms of being, you know, pain. Actually, physically felt the pain looking at it. But uh, um, yeah, he had to, he had to miss the game. That is shocking. Yeah. What did you put on the injury report that week? Uh, I, I can't remember. I, don't know. I left it to the doctor and the medical team. <laughs> Mur, I don't know if you'll remember this, but um, when we were in the academy back in uh, Munster, um, I was on holidays with Paul Rowley, and he dived into the water thinking it was quite deep as he was running in from the beach and it was very shallow he dug his hand into the sand and he actually broke his hand so he arrived back for pre-season with his hand in a big splint and i think they thought he'd been fighting or something um you know sinister when it really was a complete accident and uh i think he missed the first half of pre-season and uh they were skeptical of him after that well it it sounds like a fake reason, doesn't it? I'm just thinking of Jack Carty. Didn't he rupture his spleen on a water slide at some oh, park over slide. in Spain? Yeah. Oh man, that's another frustrating one. So there, there's there's many stories like this, but a a blow for the Welsh. Obviously a blow for Ireland this week as well, Mike, with Caelan Doris ruled out. Obviously more serious reasons there. Fingers crossed he, he gets good treatment and diagnosis, I suppose. Concussion-related symptoms there. He's gone back to Leinster. But I suppose how big a loss is that one to Ireland? He's obviously a young guy, 22 still, only seven caps, but it feels like already he's kind of become an important player. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Massive loss and uh, he has become extremely important, even though he does only have seven seven caps, as you say. So big loss there, obviously um, health first, particularly when it comes to concussion and hopefully he gets the treatment he needs and, and take time. He's young a lot of caps a lot of games ahead of him so um the most important thing is to rest and and get that right first i suppose it, it blows open the whole back row um within the irish squad i think he was pretty much nailed down as the number eight and it was who you slotted in either side of him um i would envisage that cj would probably slot back into number eight um and you might get a bit more of a balance there maybe with pete at six and uh connor's or uh, Josh van der Fleer at seven so um, it definitely opens it up and uh, it is a big loss uh, uh, I'm gutted for the guy uh, on the flip side you see someone like Gavin Coombs going up to camp now um, who I feel definitely deserves a crack up there even just to train with the lads get involved in that environment and uh, I think it's just reward for the, the last couple of months that he's put in yeah absolutely Ryan Baird getting a chance in there again two guys definitely for the future Bernard we got loads of questions about the back row Um Kalon in the WhatsApp group, he says, what would the lads' preferred back row be for Wales? Colm on Twitter was asking, what does your back row look like for the Wales game? Everyone's really interested in this. Team's not named until tomorrow. Um, but first of all, which way would you personally go if you were picking that back row to take on Wales? Yeah, look, I think I think he was going to go uh, CJ at six, Doris at, at eight, and, and Peter at seven. Um, and... and that was very effective against against Scotland. Um, with Doris out now, I I, I agree. Uh, um, I think CJ will go back to eight, and 
you know, I, I don't think they'll go with Ruddock at six and, and leave Peter at, at seven. I think they'll flip Peter back across the six and and go for Connors. Um, I think uh, Will Connors will start at seven, and, and that's certainly the rumour um, this week. And I can see, you know, a balance to that. I don't think the game is going to be really free-flowing despite, you know, Pibak trying to implement that style he had at, at Scarlet. So probably the need for Evander Fleer isn't as great in, in, in this game. And it's huge pressure on both coaches. I mean, Pivak's under massive pressure in Wales, but um, if Farrell was to lose, I think quite, quite quickly you'd see the pressure flip onto him because, um, not because losing to Wales is any, uh, you know, is, is, a, is a bad thing because they've obviously got very good players, but just because of the form they're in and particularly how poorly the regions bar Ospreys have, have been going. So, um, it's 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 a very hard game to uh to kind of get ready for and predict particularly because Wales you know they've had such trauma in terms of you know losing their defense coach it, during the autumn cup getting Jenkins has come in he hasn't really coached defense for a club side um so we don't really know you know how he's going to set up bar the fact that he's probably going to be very similar to what try and copy what Sean Edwards did um and you know that certainly was probably the criticism of Byron Haywood so um it's yeah it's fascinating but I think Connors Connors Peter and CJ would be a um a nice back row balance if it is Connors Mike what have you seen in his game I mean renowned obviously for his his chop tackling are you seeing him round out his game maybe push some of his other skills yeah he well that is his his main um point of difference I suppose um yeah, look, he hasn't played a lot of rugby at this level, so it's it's hard to say, but um, he's obviously a very talented player. I think the more he gets on the ball and the more he gets involved in kind of link play, kind of in that kind of uh, Gleason role back in the day, uh, an out-and-out out seven definitely added a lot to the attack. So that's something that he could bring to the game. I think Josh Renderfleer does that very well and probably doesn't... Um, doesn't get a lot of uh, mention about that you know his work rate and his uh, defensive speed off the line his chop tackling as well is probably what he's renowned for but um i think he runs brilliant lines and i, th- I think he's a really good link player so that's something that connor's could bring to the game and look the more he plays at this level the more that will come and uh, it's it's quite a baptism of fire to be rounding out your game at international level as opposed to club level and uh, Magnus League or Pro 14 level. Um, I went to old school there with Magnus League, apologies. <laughs> yeah, and Keith Gleeson, we, we love old school here to be fair and he was he was some player, changed the role a bit, didn't he? So it'll be really interesting to see which way they go, as we say, team named tomorrow Friday. Um, we actually got a question from Connery, he was saying why have Ireland changed their announcements gradually from four days out back to Schmidt's kind of mantra of two days out is it with injuries covid etc i think it is that really it's just to give themselves a bit more scope in in actually um naming a team and not having to change that late stage as well as a little bit of uncertainty for the players as well which i think always helps in, in terms of the training quality so fascinating to see which way that goes tomorrow but bernard coming into this championship it's obviously pretty soon after the most recent ireland campaign which is rare enough usually you have to wait a few more months in this but it was december the last time they played against scotland and with the home fixtures against France and England, you, you look at that as a, a chance to win usually. What is your sense of what Ireland need to be better at in this championship if they're going to go and, and actually contend to, to win it? Yeah, I think, well, I think it's the Paul O'Connell factor um, kind of leads to what they need to be better at. So I think their, um, their line-out needs to be better. Um, their line-out mall um, needs to be more of a weapon. And... Uh, you know, there's a bit of a debate, I suppose, is our attacking breakdown, 
was our attacking breakdown underperforming because our attack was poor or was our attack poor because of our attacking breakdown? So, you know, Paul has been given the mandate to go in and uh, and fix that or improve that. Um, and also, I think the hope is that our defence will become stronger with Simon. He's to be having just sole responsibility for that and having more time to, to specialise in that. So I think they're, they're the areas. Look, I think, you know, there hasn't been a change there, but, you know, my cat, um, you would expect um, this Six Nations to, to see further improvements in our, in our attacking game. But, um, you know, I think the, the, the key focus area would be on, on our attacking breakdown and, uh, and our ability to, to win quality ball off the line out to launch off or, or to be able to um, turn malls into, into attacking opportunities or, or potentially points. Mm. And I'll come to you on this as well, Mike. But, but just to follow up on that, Birch, like, what issues did you identify at line out and mall time that are things that can be fixed quickly by someone like Paul O'Connell? Yeah, I just didn't think we had real, real variety in it. And, and um, I mean, look at the Munster. Just take an example of the Munster Mall against Claremont. Uh, you know, they were probably uh, a smaller pack, probably not as not as uh, physical, yet they they. They were really smart and intelligent in terms of of how they mauled and the construction of that mall and where they 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 shifted the point of contact, um, you know, really well. And, and you saw us in, in France, for example, in in the in the Autumn Cup, you know, um, throwing the ball to the front, trying to shift drive, but the actual down the front, but the actual construction of it wasn't smart. There wasn't enough detail in it. We were too slow getting set, and by the time. We did get set up. We were already being marched towards the, the touchline and actually thrown over the touchline. Um, and it was a huge psychological uh, boost. And there was another example in the second half where we threw it to the back and we tried to shift drive off the back and we let Gail Fiku come in, a winger come in and, and destroy it. So we just weren't as detailed or as nailed on in, in those areas as we had been back in you know, 2017, 18, where you know, it was a big weapon for us. And we, we were able to, you know, win penalties and, and, and kick to the corner and, and convert them into further penalties and sometimes pressure on referees to give yellow cards or or, or tries. So, um, yeah, I, I do think that we're not the biggest pack in the world. So if we are going to have an attacking mall weapon, um, our construction and our, and our, and our detail and um, our ability to find weaknesses in the opposition mall D um, is going to be crucial. And, and I, th I think that's an area of the game that Paul... Um, Paul was very good at. Uh, he enjoyed it, and um, yeah, I, I'm excited to see. You know, look, it's not going to be brilliant. Well, it's, hopefully, it will be brilliant, but it'll take a little bit of time. But uh, I would like to see improvements in that. Yeah, I think back to that 2014-15, the Double Six Nations, and Paul O'Connell ran a beautiful line out and mall at that stage as a player. And it sounds like if you want detail, Mike, he's the guy to go to. It sounds like he's just bunkered down for the last year, watching footage of lineouts over and over again. What was he like? To work with in that sense how big a nerd in terms of line out is he massive um yeah massive it was uh it just drove him on every week he was constantly looking at footage i know this is this rehashed information everyone knows that he does this kind of stuff but i think birch makes a great point that you know it's the smaller intricacies of how you build your mall what angles you go at where you go at the weakness it's not just winning the ball and either a straight mall or a shift mall and it's eight lads pushing against eight lads there's there's certain ways of building malls and exposing weaknesses depending on how the trends you see of how they defend if they hold people off if they have people down the blind side 
So um, I think he'll be looking into that. And as you say, he has spent a long time not involved in the daily grind of coming up with tactics and uh, plans for opposition. He's been allowed to kind of step back from rugby and uh, he would have spent a lot of time on his laptop going over international games, seeing what the trends were, and he'll definitely try to implement them. I think another great point Birch made was the the attacking breakdown. He was absolutely obsessed with breakdown when he was a player, particularly when he got involved with Joe Schmidt up at Ireland. It just it translated down to what he brought to Munster. He was already hot on it, but when he went up there and saw the detail that Schmidt brought into his actual attacking breakdown and the difference it brought to the attacking game, um, he tried to implement that down with us guys that weren't up in, in Ireland camp as much uh, or at all. So um, he'll definitely have certain thoughts on that and I would expect to see an improvement, uh, a speed of ball that maybe hasn't been there over the last year. Mm. Like he's still inexperienced in, ex- in, in a coaching sense, Mike. Um, obviously, Ireland under twenties. He did stuff with the Munster Academy. Had a year in Stade Francais. It didn't sound too happy from his point of view. And obviously, coaching is about more than the technical and tactical detail. Really, did you see traits in him when when you were playing with him that suggested, you know, he's actually good at getting information across, at inspiring change? Maybe did did he have those traits as a player as well? Yeah, most definitely. Um... Yeah, you used the word there, inspiring. That's that's how he he operated, you know, through his uh, his words and his deeds on the pitch. Um, he he had a brilliant mix of being able to fire people up and um, also being able to get into the detail and walk through things. And he was a very like he was intimidating. There's no doubt about it. As a young guy coming in, really intimidating to work with someone with such high standards. But he had a really good mix of being able to take people aside and build up trust and confidence in yourself and just endless time to talk through things walk through things practice them after sessions before sessions so like he'll bring all that to his role and like even as a player again rehashing old information but he was as a coach as well you know he 50 50 spread of the workload he'd work hand in hand with the forwards coach on line outs on scrums was also a thing he was uh, massively into as a second row i know we spoke about quinn rue before and how much pleasure he took out of scrums paul was the same like he he took massive joy in uh scrummaging and, and helping out his tight head um so all those things he'll bring to the role um he is relatively inexperienced but um as an inexperienced coach, I don't think you could ask for someone with more um, passion and experience as a player to, to translate it over. Mm. I don't think there's ever going to be as much interest in Ireland's line out of Mulwark. No, uh, but I think you know, Mike touched on it there. Paul, yeah, Paul Paul did a huge amount of work, you know, laptop study, etc. But what he, the gift he had, I felt, was and just seeing him in Irish camp was the ability to simplify it then to like, so, you know, he's on record. He, I've saw him, I saw him speaking at, at some, some leadership, someone he, he showed like um, a photograph of the, the, the post-it note that he used to write the line outs on. You know what I mean? So there was a huge amount of work done in the background to get down to this menu of, of 10 options. And, um, you know, so the players were the ones that if you're the hooker or the, the rest of the line, line outs, you benefited from all that homework. And then he was able to streamline it down to, you know, the 10 options he would need to be able to win quality ball or to be able to maul off or, or whatever, or to exit off. And um, I think that'll be really helpful for, for James Ryan and Ian Henderson as well, just um, being able to understand the process of seeing where the weaknesses are, looking at what we do, 
where our strengths are and then creating a a, a streamlined menu um, with get out options etc so like I, and i give you an example i mean some line out forwards if things go wrong they try and make it more complicated and they want more movements more dummies etc which um you know can work but sometimes it, it actually creates more opportunities for the defensive line out to to get um to get after your ball whereas well, my impression from Paul was um, he basically, he looked at actually, okay, you know, where's the issue here? And, and ex execution is more important is, and um, to be able to really simplify it and, and speed kill. So I'd expect a lot of tempo, um, a lot of uh, detail and fast throws on this weekend. And um, yeah, look, at, as I said, you can't expect him to solve the world in, in, in two weeks or whatever he's been in camp. But um, I do think that squad, that coaching staff did need uh you know a little bit of help uh, and hopefully he's the man to to do mm, absolutely going to be fascinating to see what impact he makes in a short space of time obviously a few returning players as well who weren't there at the end of the autumn series furlong larmer's back ring rose dave Kilcoin as well do you think this is a stronger squad mike than what farrell was working with in, in autumn when obviously we saw a fair bit of change and experimentation and fresh faces he seems to have a more settled group do you think it's a stronger squad well, by by the names you just uh, read out, it would uh, it would definitely be stronger. You know, Furlong is um, one of, if not the best tight head prop in the world. Uh, Ring Rose is is absolute quality. Uh, Larmer on his day can open up any defence, and uh, Dave Kilcoyne, I think he just adds something uh, very different off the off the bench if he's not starting. Um, that's probably the main role we've seen him uh, in with Ireland. Um, I'd love to see him get a few starts, but obviously very very hard with uh someone like keen healy there um so yeah with him coming off the bench adds something um completely different I, I don't think i've seen someone carry with as much venom as he does and it just uh again it opens up defenses in a different way to to how larmer or ringrose might but on the flip side you have daris now who's um out of commission for however long so You'll get players back, but you will pick up injuries in training and in games. So it's a balancing act. Um, I do think it's a more settled group, uh, given the fact that they've gone through a campaign with this coaching staff. Two campaigns now, in fact. Uh, I know broken up and uh, whatever else. But I think that, that seven weeks or eight weeks that they had uh, pre-Christmas will definitely stand to them. Um, and uh, you would hope that more and more of what Farrell is trying to do, what Cat's trying to do, will, will come across in how they're playing. You saw elements of it over the last year and a half, but um, you know the longer you're in camp and the more games you're playing, the more systems you're running through and the more familiar, familiar you are with that, um, it should translate onto the pitch. On that, Bernard, and you mentioned the attack is a big one there. It's kind of a national obsession, Ireland's attack, even in the Joe Schmidt era. It's what we always spoke about, even when they were winning. Where do you think Ireland are trying to get to under Farrell and Cat, and where are they coming from in terms of their philosophical slant on it? And what about the attack specifically needs to be better to make them a more dangerous team? Yeah, well, I think being able to hurt teams in transition and um, from counter attack, we know that um, that's a rich source of of line breaks uh, and, and and points for. For, for certain teams and probably it was an area that we didn't really um exploit uh very well over over the last year um i think we've seen some improvements in our in our plays our strike plays of off line in particular having said that you know some of the strike plays we've used to good effect are, are effectively leinster plays um so we haven't really seen 
you know, uh, a clear identity of, or haven't seen a huge amount of a clear identity of the Mike Cat philosophy. It's, it's apparently a, you know, um, uh, play heads up, um, keep the ball alive, offloading uh, game um, with ability to get the ball to wit. Um, and we have seen glimpses of it. Haven't said, you know, sorry, I keep saying I haven't said that, but it's worked better against softer defenses. Um, and that's going to be a concern for, for me a little bit if, if Wales do implement that that real aggressive rush um you know will we get caught playing inside the 15s like we did against England um uh, uh, last year in Twickenham and, and become very easy to shut down and I think that's where Ringrose <clears throat> Ringrose coming in as that second playmaker will be absolutely huge for us um in terms of being able to have the confidence to to throw that extra pass and to get into that 50 meter channel and and I suppose get go forward um but yeah, it's 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 not really clear what our attacking philosophy is. And as I said, you know, I believe internally there's you know there's a bit of there was it wasn't clear who what was to blame was it the breakdown or was it the structure? Um, so hopefully we get the breakdown right, and then we we'll be able to actually understand you know um, if, if the structure works and if it does great, and if not, what we need to do to uh, to fix it. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops and morphs, I suppose. We've had a few questions about Andrew Porter here. He was up for interview yesterday and obviously answering questions about potentially moving back to Loosehead, which Andy Farrell had said was still in Ireland's thinking. He's been tied head now for obviously years, did a bit of Loosehead for the World Cup. Paddy in the WhatsApp group says, we're debating Porter's future again, whether it'll be Loosehead or Tighthead. Can the lads see something happening in this Six Nations? And then Brendan on Twitter also says, will we see Porter at loose head with O'Toole off the bench at tight head? And then Connor asks, how big an ask for it? How big an ask is it for him to shift across? What's your sense of all this, Mike? Um, obviously an incredible, explosive athlete and he's doing a fine job at tight head. He's become really important. Um, do, you, do you see a bit of scope there for him to shift across or is it too much to ask? From his perspective, he's obviously going to say, he just wants to play. So wherever they pick him, he's going to um, put his best foot forward and, you know, plow on with that. I think Tighthead is probably his better side of the scrum. Um, but he can do a job at Loosehead. There's no doubt he is a huge man. And that can uh, counterbalance a lot of um, inefficiencies he might have. Now, I don't see any inefficiencies in how he scrummages. Um, but it, it, it's a big ask to go over both sides of the scrum at international level. Um, there's a reason why not a lot of people do it. Um, from a coach's point of view, they probably want to have their best players on the pitch. And you know, he adds a lot around breakdown defensively, certainly. Um, and it, it's quite a nice prospect to have himself and Furlong either side of the scrum on the pitch with what they can do. So it's a possibility that you could see that. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, Personally, I think he should concentrate on Tighthead, um, but that it's very hard to do that when you know Tyke Furlong is there waiting to come back in, and he just wants to play rugby. So if that means uh, playing on the loose head side, um, he will do that. I think we're well served on the loose head side. I think it would be beneficial for him and Ireland if he concentrated on the uh, the Tighthead side, and you're there looking at furlong and porter tighthead and uh healy and kilcoin on the uh loose head which is for top quality international props what do you think birch yeah i, I think that the, the probably post saracens um it came up again around porter's uh future um i think probably among the irish coaching staff and 
Um, but I, I do I, I agree with, with Mike. I think he's the problem is we we're, we're way better stacked at loose heads at the moment than we are tight heads. So you know I know Tom O'Toole is in there, but he's 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 a project. Um, he's a long term play. Um, Finney Bealham had been in there and he's he's out now. Um, I think you know the the issue is the age profile of of Kilcoyne and Healy. They're probably looking to say, well, look at if well, we have lots of loose heads. We've Eric O'Sullivan, we've James Cronin, etc. Um, but after Porter's probably the next best loose head after Healy and Kilcoyne, um, which is probably where they're caught. But I would I would say we don't have enough depth at, at tight head to um, to risk moving him across now. And I don't see him moving across into Six Nations unless you know unless we got an injury to Killer or um, or, or Keane. Uh, but potentially they're looking at twenty twenty three. You know I think they've offered Keane a one year contract. I, Healy could easily make the World Cup 2023. Killer should make the World Cup 2023. So I don't see a, a massive uh, need to, to move him. He's always going to be a key man in the in the match day squad, whether either he starts or, or backs up Tyg as a tight head. Uh, um, I think the rest of the tight heads have a long way to go to, to get ahead of Porter. Uh, okay, scrum-wise, potentially, he has some work to do. Um, but around the field and his ability to, uh, to have, you know, big impacts over the course of we saw whatever nearly 80 minutes against against Munster I mean he's incredibly fit durable robust um, he's exactly what you want in your tight heads and uh, yeah I think it's a conversation for down the road but um, but when I say down the road post 2023 yeah serious prospect he's only 25 Andrew Porter um, a man of many gifts actually thanks to Irish Cancer Society they sent me out one of the masks he designed pretty cool as well so there's plenty to to him off the pitch as well just briefly I know it's different you guys were hookers obviously did you ever have to play anywhere else in the front row I can imagine that would be a pretty tough shift Birch would have had the size to maybe transition I certainly didn't uh, maybe as a young fella but uh, <laughs> not in any way past under 16s that I play um, <laughs> anywhere past hooker. I had the midriff I had the midriff. Mike was Mike's body fat was too low. Uh, no, when I was in sale, when I was in sale under Steve Diamond, I was 20, 20 21 and um, he basically tried to convert me. He offered me a two year contract to stay, but to convert as a loose head. And uh, I said, "No, look at uh, hooker's hard enough. I'm I'm getting out of here." So I came back to Ireland. But uh, I, yeah, I was nearly put into the back. Glenn Ross tried to convert me into a seven, um, which was even more daunting. I remember I played a match against Munster and. Uh, Axel, Lord of mercy on him, broke from the back of the scrum. And I think he scored a try before I realised the uh, the ball was out. So um, <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple of flirtations with different positions, but uh, hooker was the only position that would have me. You were giving her all to your flanker. I was. Or your prop, sorry. Scrum first. Scrum first, Mike. <laughs> scrum first, Mike. That's it. <laughs> Eric Elwood wasn't happy as as Axel ran over. That's brilliant, Mike. You would have done a good job in the back row, I think. Sorry, I thought we were only speaking about front row. Yes, I did play a bit in the back row. Um, <laughs> I played across the back row, yeah, but uh, probably realised I was a little bit too stumpy and slow, um, so moved <laughs> further up. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the back row. The front row union were, were very lucky to have you both. Finally, just on this game, Bernard, uh, we you mentioned Wales before and where they are. Shane was on to us on WhatsApp. He said, uh, let yeah. me get the question here. Will Wales's pedigree of player and long rugby tradition count for anything in this tournament against their poor club form for the last few seasons? What's your sense of that and where the game is at in Wales? Because we've seen in the past the national team has been successful despite poor regional form. Um, yeah. can, can that be overlooked anymore? Um, look, at the, ch- the challenge for Wales is that a lot of 
disruption has happened at the same time. So they lost Warren Gatlin, they lost Sean Edwards, they lost Robin McBride, um, they lost their, their team manager, Dumper, who's gone to the to the Lions, they lost Rob Howley, um, and that gave them huge stability. And there's there's lots of studies around the importance of cohesion in, in teams and sport, and, and Wales had that cohesion, and they had massive confidence in, in Warren. So because um, of, of his track record. So when they went into camp, you know, they didn't really care about their their form as regional side they believed that the Welsh coaching team were were top notch and and they'd had success and and and, and believed in everything the problem is that they all left at the same time um and they went for a replacement from within Wales which is always a, a difficult one because there's such politics in the game there and, and lack of trust from each of each of the regions so um, every call Wayne Pivak makes where he picks a, a scarlet player um, is under more scrutiny than a, than an outsider. So that, 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 that didn't help. And, you know, you even see the two Welsh nines, the two scarlet nines being in ahead of someone like Reese Webb, who's in fairness, come back to Wales and been in great form. And, and that, that can cause some, some angst and, and certainly some, some, some negative chat. Um, then they lose, you know, particularly they, they, they don't keep Edwards who, and let's be honest, under Warren, you know, it was the Welsh defence was probably the most impressive part of of, of their of their game, um, and they had injuries to some key guys like Ken Owens, Alan Jones, um, etc. And they're trying to change the way they attack. So there's been a huge amount of fluctuation. Plus, we have to mention that you know at, at WRU level, there's been a huge amount of change. Two heads of performance have have gone. A new chairman, new CEO, player player salary cuts, central contracts were out. Now they're back in. Uh, player banding so there's been so many issues off the field that unfortunately for Warren or for Wayne have have probably affected the mood and the and the confidence in, in the squad and and it's up to him now his head's on the block I mean if he has a poor Six Nations um you know he probably will get the sack because he'd be the scapegoat but he also has to you know he a huge part of the Welsh performances has been feeding off the energy of crowds because they're not used to crowds at regional level when they play international rugby it's a it's a huge spike in terms of their emotion and uh, they're not even going to have that this weekend. And even in fairness, they lost in the autumn to Scotland in, um, in, in uh, Parky Scarlets, which again, you know, you're an international team and you have to play your games in a, in a, in a regional base. So I think, I feel sorry for Pivak. I think it's been incredibly tough for him, but have, you know, and it's hard to, to know how they're going to play, but when you look at the team, they're probably going to pick out, they're probably going to pick, you probably, you'll owns probably start. Tom Francis is a quality tight head. Um, whether they go with Jake Ball or Adam Beard to accompany Alwyn Jones, you know they've got very good second rows. Lydiate is back. Tipperick, Faletau, okay, they've their best rugby is probably behind them. But those that type of uh, of those type of names are more than capable of of getting that spike in their performance level one more time. And um, you know uh, it's it's a dangerous game for us as well. Okay, there's huge pressure on Pivac, but I mean as I said, I think the pressure on Farrell is is massive as well. If he lose to Wales away. It could be just a start of a very tough campaign for us. So um, yeah, we're we're basically going on. In terms of being able to predict the Welsh performance, we have to back these players who've done it over the years um, to to spike for Six Nations. If they do that, they have the quality to to beat us. But it's very hard to see any form because you know they've lost seven out of ten games in in twenty twenty. Mm. It feels like a really decisive game for both of them, as you say, in similarish positions after weird first years in charge following kind of legacy coaches. So it really is all in the balance. It's going to be fascinating. First up on Saturday, though, 
Italy v France, Italy v France. Yeah, sorry, that's the first fixture at 2.15 p.m. This is going to be a really enjoyable one. Seeing Le Bleu go again, because Mike, last year they really underlined their resurgence and the fact that they're here to compete now, and that's the word coming out of their camp. It's time for them to actually go and win a title. What have you enjoyed or admired about what they've done on the pitch to actually make those improvements? Yeah, it's brilliant to be uh, chatting about the uh, the French setup in in a positive light. It was so um, doom and gloom for so long. Um, yeah, they've brought through a really good crop of young players, uh, good core um, through the squad, um, through their starting fifteen. You know, their their nine is now probably the the best nine on form in the world. He's completely dictating games he plays in, um, which is what the French, they love that. Um, they love a nine to, to... The only thing he doesn't do is kick a goal, which is... Um, I don't know if he does that for club, but he doesn't, doesn't do it for France, which is uh, rare for a French nine. But, you know, he's completely determining the outcome of games through massive moments, through just, just complete quality in what he's doing. And, and that's infiltrating the whole team. Um you can tell that look, they're targeting 2023. Um, they got their their ship in order. Um, coming up to it, they've they've they have all the the structures in place. It's it's I don't know what was Birch would have more of an idea, but it was just it seemed like absolute chaos, and they just needed someone to come in, grab it by the scruff of the neck, and and organize it. Just put structures in place. They had all the foundations there that they could lean on. The players, the facilities, the the club game the money, uh, it was all there. It just needed someone to, to really organise it. And I think that's what they've done. I think the players realise the opportunity that's there with a home World Cup in 2023. And uh, yeah, like like you say, it is time for them now to go and win a Six Nations or two, put in a couple of really good campaigns leading up to that World Cup. And you have to fancy them uh, come two and a half years' time. Um, and I would fancy them for this Six Nations as well. Interesting. They have a couple of... In- a couple of injuries, I suppose, Birch with Roman Entomac and Vermi Vakatau out at the moment. What's the depth of talent like there? Because it looked pretty decent last autumn when they played that final of the Nations Cup against England. What's your sense of guys stepping into those big boots? Yeah, I think the, they have probably, the, them and England have the most depth. But I just thought that that final against England was an unbelievably... Uh, positive experience for them even though they lost the game you know they went with effectively their third choice team and they went toe-to-toe with England lost unluckily by two points in the end but um you know the bright spark of that uh, of those changes that they needed to make because of the agreement with the clubs is someone like Brees Doolan who who looked like he was out of the picture um you know had a had an opportunity to play played incredibly well and now he's starting against Italy to begin I mean the back three they have against Italy, you know, you Brice Doolan, Teddy Thomas and, you know, Villar, uh, the Toulon winger, is an absolute rocket. I mean, it's just it's just so exciting to to think about those three guys lighting up this tournament. Um, yeah, they have injuries, but they have, you know, they, Aldrit uh, has come back. You know, he, we heard he was out. He had an, an e-scope. Um, he's going to start eight. Um, you know, I love Jolly Bear. I think Jolly Bear's actually got even more flair than, than Intermac. Um, who's and he's going to play ten. And uh, the way it is in France is okay. Intermac is, has got you know he's got lovely ability, but he's he's really got a, a great game sense and a great game manager. But Dupont is so good, I think he'll manage the game. Um, you know enough from nine, and Jolly Bear will just have a chance to 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 make things happen. And and 
you know, they've got Italy away first up, and France have traditionally, you know, struggled against against Italy. Uh, uh, even at home, they struggle sometimes. But um, but I just think this team is 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 a different level mentally. Um, there's a feel good factor. They had a, a training camp down in Nice in the sun last week. Um, you know, they've they've got a really good mix of coaches. I mean, Galtier is a he was always seen as being the best technician in France. Um, the issue he had was the day to day management of players and uh, you know the example i'd probably give is the glenn hoddle managing england and 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 not understanding why you know someone couldn't put the ball on the sixpence like he could um, and i think galtier at club level got frustrated with sometimes the, the uh, inability of, of certain players or the the monotony the monotony of the top 14 campaign of week in week out and he's someone who likes to to get away and and um, relax and do other things, but I think international rugby suits him down to the ground where you know he has those breaks, but then he comes into camp for seven eight weeks and and you know they really get into the nuts and bolts of of game plans and, and strategy and you know alongside Sean Edwards and, and Vlock Killier and um, the other French coaches that are there, they seem to have a really tight knit staff with with Ibanez kind of the manager looking after the the player management side of it, looking after the the relationship with Bernard Laporte, looking after the relationship with the with the clubs, which has always been, ha, sorry, has always been incredibly touchy, but now there's a real alignment, and and you know, um, you know, it's cost the LNR a lot of money and the FFR a lot of money to get this alignment, but they have it now, and uh, they have a home World Cup in 2023, they have a national side who are shown some consistency. Let's not forget they've been the two World Cup finals, um, in chaos. I mean, watch it like. The thought of where they could go with with some some alignment and some cohesion is, is frightening because um, they've had some really good generations at under twenty, um, yeah, and and fitness levels and and the the type of rugby being played and the way the referee the game's been refereed in the top fourteen has changed to be more aligned to you know international rugby with ball and play time and less focus on on penalties etc. So yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of movement in the right direction towards towards France been very strong at 2023 and, and I agree with with Mike I think you know they they'll they'll see this tournament as a chance to um to get silverware mm. mon dieu it's absolutely frightening now that you guys have laid it out are you backing them for this championship as well as as Mike Bernard I, I thought I think they play England in, in in Twickenham so that was the only um the only, I, I I did tip England but I think it'll be France will be very close to them. Um, I think they'll win next year. They'll win next year with with Ireland and England in in, in Paris, um, and they they may win this year. But I, I I did back England, so I better stick to them. Yeah, it'd be hilarious if it all fell apart now in typical fashion. Something goes wrong, Camp Galtier falls out with Dupont or something like that. But otherwise, we'll we'll watch with interest because they've been they've been great to watch. Um, just uh, just briefly on Italy, Mike. Just recently, myself and Bernard were talking about it on this podcast and the frustrations probably with Italian rugby. What's your sense of that or opinion on that? Do you think they're still worthy of this place in the Six Nations or are we starting to ask questions now? Well, their, their form and um, overall performance at club level has been... It seemed to be on an upward trajectory. Uh, Treviso had um, certainly challenged and they'd gotten to the, the latter stages of the, the Pro 14. This season, um, I know this season is a bit of an anomaly in everything that's going on, but you know, they've been extremely disappointing. 
the games at club level like it's just it, it's hit outs almost for particularly Irish provinces I know they put in a good a decent display against Munster a couple of weeks ago or last weekend but you know that feeds into the the national team I think they had put a lot of uh, stock in how Trevisa were developing and how that was going to translate into the the national team um are they worthy of their place in the six nations um look it would be an absolute shame to see them drop out of it i, I don't know who would you replace them with or would you go back to a five nations or would you put georgia in there um uh, yeah i my sense would be to to keep developing them keep them in the tournament and reevaluate um i think we're 21 years now into the the six nations uh project so um i wouldn't make any changes as of now um i would hate to see them drop out i think you know when they get their big wins and when they play well they definitely add something um and they do have potential to eventually develop into a good quality rugby nation um look it's a slow burner and there's no doubt about it i don't know what birch's thoughts are on it um it's hard to hard to say where they're at really um well, we know where they're at. They're not uh, performing where they should be, but my sense would be to keep them in and keep trying to develop them for the, for the sake of the global game. Mm. Bert, you're still on the kind of playoff, I suppose, f- fence with it. You, you want to see them actually have to battle to keep their place? Yeah, look, I, I, I agree with Mike. I think, I, you know, we probably do need to keep supporting them, but, um, and, you know, there's definitely potential there. At the underage level, they seem to have improved. They are part of our... Of our domestic league, um, but I, I just think we've there's been a huge amount of money invested. There's been a huge amount of time um, spent waiting for them to to develop. I would like to, I would love to throw in the you know at the bottom of the Six Nations place a playoff and keep everyone on their toes. And if Italy are good enough to beat the best in Europe uh, in, in tier two in Europe to stay in it, then fair enough. But I just don't see the I don't see how the guaranteed entry it hasn't actually led to any improvement um now and that's that, that's all you know that's all so i'm not saying they should be kicked out i don't think we should go back to five nations i think the game can't afford that because obviously that extra game um is so important to everybody but i think it'd be great for those tier two countries in europe to have the potential and even let it be the the, the bottom team plays at home um and but gives them a, a chance of of getting in and and keep italy or or Scotland or Ireland or Wales or England or France on their toes that if they finish bottom they have to they have to go and, and win one more mm. game it would be good to see the game progress that way but you know full well that Six Nations aren't going to even countenance that idea they'll vehemently vote against it so let's see what happens with Italy fingers crossed they step things up the other game on Saturday is England-Scotland 4.45 again England with some injury issues Mako Vunapola launch breeze out Underhill, Manu Tuilagi obviously missing a key guy and, and Joe Marler withdrawing for kind of family reasons. Mike, Eddie Jones is talking about their need to adapt and evolve, having had a very successful 2020, obviously. What do you think he's getting at there in, in terms of England pushing things forward? I just don't think he's the, the type of uh, coach or, or guy to accept any um, excuses or reasons i know he throws out bombs in the the week of games and uh deflects kind of attention from the team but internally i don't think he would um he just won't tolerate any kind of uh dropping of standards or you know we're missing this guy so um maybe we shouldn't perform as well as we did previously i think they have so much depth um they have so many good players in in the positions that you mentioned it they have injuries that 
I wouldn't see it overall affecting them. I know Manu Tulagi, you know, he can change a team, but um, you know they just have so much quality. Um, their domestic competition is is so competitive, and um, I think it makes up for a lot of that when they come into camp. They're at such a good level already, um, and he he just has a really good um, solid group around him they know exactly what they're about they'll play whatever rugby is necessary to win and they have the ability to do that um to go through the gears to to kick to to play it wide to brutalize teams um they have all that in their arsenal so i don't think he'd be worried about the injuries um and, and coming up against scotland uh, scotland um i think they've just flattered to deceive for a long time they've spoken a big game they've uh, at club level and international um i remember watching the post-match analysis a couple of months ago and eddie o'sullivan i think hit it hit the nail on the head just about how they never really seem to deliver on the big talk that they they put out during the week and before campaigns so uh, i would be absolutely shocked if they give england much trouble i know that you can kind of cite the the comeback uh, draw a couple of years ago but um, I just think England have too much for them. Mm, Eddie O'Sullivan has a full nation against him, I think, after him looking for his head. But he was just being honest, I suppose, with that opinion. On, Eng- on England, he's got, he's got a backup um, now, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, set the, we'll set the Scots after you, Mike. Um, listen, just on England, Mike mentioned it there with the kicking, and there was so much talk about that, Bernard, in the autumn. Did you feel it like grand that's what they do to be successful or do you think that really does need to to be evolved and adapted yeah i think eddie's very eddie's quite stubborn and he has a key set of numbers that um tells him that this is what wins international games and i think probably the frustration is and I, I in some ways i admire him for it because effectively he doesn't want to give players any any um lack of clarity or, or cloud judgment. So he basically just copies and pastes the game plan, no matter if it's Italy or or if it's Ireland or France. Um, but there has been a bit of a backlash um, in terms of the actual quality of it. And I think there's certain games where they can show more ambition. Like the team they have, they can play the game any one of 10 ways. Um, but they, it's a, it's a different, it's a slightly different than the Saracens model, which was more about contestables. Um, it's more about finding grass um, in Eddie's Eddie's model, but there is a huge amount of kicking the ball away, getting a high field position, and then putting a squeeze on teams with set piece opportunities, and and um, and and it is literally a squeeze because of their their defense is very good and the power they have, and that's where Scotland will you'd imagine will struggle. Um, as I like, I think they England will see Finn Russell as being a weakness rather than a strength for Scotland because of. Um, they'll try and send him down blind alleys, and okay, his kicking game is, is is very good, but they'll have they'll have picked up some um, uh, some trends in that as well, and, and I I just think that they will they're the worst nightmare for Finn. I know that um, you know the second half two years ago he was majestic, whatever, but let's be honest, the game it nine nine, nine times a hundred game is over, and uh, it's it's highly unlikely England will ever collapse like that again, or or get that loose, and potentially that was the turning point for Eddie, where you know. He went. Look what happens when we get loose. You know this. This. This nearly ended up in a being a disaster. And you know it took a last minute um, try to get a draw um, from a from a very dominant position. So uh, look, I do. He is making soundings that they want to evolve. Um, you know, let's let's remember as well. He did change attack coach Scott Whitemantle 
um, you know, went back to Australia. Um, he has a skills coach in Australia who couldn't come back or decided not to come back because of COVID. So he's brought in Ed Robinson, um, Andy Robinson's son, actually from Jersey on a on a kind of a three month or yeah, two month loan deal to, to work with a team. So, you know, he has had little changes behind the scenes and particularly around that should affect his attacking game. But what has been constant is Matt Proudfoot, you know, drilling a very good pack uh, and drilling them well. And John Mitchell implementing, a, you know, a pretty, a pretty impressive defensive system. So, um, and they've won trophies with it. And they're, I think they're nine games, 10 games unbeaten now. So um, I think they will look to play a little bit more, but they'll, they'll play to their strengths. And that is, uh, you know, power, set piece, uh, territory. Hmm. What a Finn Russell, Mike? Is he a guy you want on your team or the kind of guy you worry about when you lift your head out of the scrum? No, for me, I'd absolutely love to play with a player like that. Um, yeah, I think the, the frailties in his game are becoming less and less um, and his, his overall quality and attacking shine and, and flair is beginning to dominate. Whereas before, maybe when he broke on the scene, he'd come up at one or two moments a game, but they'd be... A, intermingled with a couple of um high profile mistakes whereas now um you know you watch him play with racing and uh more often than not uh, similar to dupont he's completely dictating the game with just moments of sheer class and it's not just moments it they're leading to tries they're leading to game changing events they're not just little bits of flicks in the middle of the field that don't really have an impact you know they're uh, they're beautiful crossfield kicks they're lovely he's an incredible ability to drop the ball onto his foot when he's in full flight and and dink it over the defense and run onto it and offload it one-handed and um yeah if england see him as a as a weakness as birch said um fair play to them but i, I would i would not like to be defending against him uh, particularly as a, a hooker out in the pitch and um yeah i'd love to play with the guy um i played against him several times and he was a really really hard person to to know what he was doing and more often than not had a very big impact on the game yeah himself and Stuart hogg will hopefully give us a few Highlight moments, but loads of really good rugby. Just briefly, Birch, uh, there is another game involving an Irish team. Connacht are playing tomorrow night, Friday night in the Pro 14. It's one of those rescheduled fixtures. Away to the Dragons, and they're coming off the back of two defeats after that big Leinster win. Feels like a, an important one, even if it's a, under the radar, I suppose, for most people. Yeah, I think it's really important for, for Connacht to um, to get back on the horse. They've, you know, to be very away, some of the games have, have gone for them over the last two months, uh, Bar you know that that great win in in in, in the RDS, but uh, yeah, I think you know, we've seen the Welsh teams, um, the Irish teams being able to generally do a, do a number on them. Uh, you know, Leinster went over the Scarlets and um, were incredibly impressive, and and I think for Connacht, um, they'll see this as a as a must win game, and uh, you know, they, I think they have the tools. I mean, the Dragons are missing a couple of guys in in Welsh squad um, and, and I, I think they have the the, the pack I think it's the front five is where um, they'll they'll get dominance and uh, I, think, I think they'll get the win Yeah here's hoping for two Irish wins I'm going to get your predictions on the Six Nations games but before that just a bit of a plug um, basically I want to let the listeners know that we're going to have extra post-match podcasts for our membership on the 42 that's after every Ireland game in Six Nations we'll also have our Monday podcast, as usual, with the brilliant Owen Toolan. On top of that, you have your weekly Roby newsletters. And as always, the members' WhatsApp group is very lively and, and kind of drives our coverage. So it's been brilliant. Also, a, a live event we're going to have for members very soon. Details on that. So just check out members.the42.ie. 
ie if you want to join us but lads right prediction time Italy v France England v Scotland Wales v Ireland just give me your three winners there you're up first Birch uh, England France Ireland all the favourites any different Mike no <clears throat> no boringly enough no <laughs> okay I think most people are going to be on that boat but here's hoping for a bit of an upset lads thanks a million Birch it's been great to have you on cheers yeah thanks thanks good to work with you Mike you too cheers, Mike not at all uh, pleasure sorry I couldn't have my video on I was dolled up to the nines but uh, internet here sticks uh, you're, you're afraid of Scots you're afraid of Scots to see your face yeah watch your back Mike but listen thanks to everyone else for the fantastic questions as always and for listening to us nattering away for the last hour this episode of the 42 Rugby Weekly was sponsored by William Hill please gamble responsibly and for more information visit dunlouis.net for members we'll speak to you post-match on Sunday and then again on Monday for everyone else we're back next Thursday so catch you then enjoy the rugby I don't think we've met before but I'm the referee on this field Leinster could have me five mil a year I wouldn't go <laughs> it is Tommy Moe Robbie Robbie weekly the first pass and oh, 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 oh.